Um, hey, find Psalm 146. We're going to read verses 5, 6, and 7. And then we're going to look at, at section 2 of what I started talking about last week. I meant to give you another copy this week, but kind of the same as Sunday morning. So I apologize. I'll do everything I can to disseminate new stuff. In Psalm 146, verses 5, 6, and 7, uh, the psalmist writes, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. Now I want to address the, the, the passage quickly before we move on to the heart of what I'm, I'm supposed to say tonight, but I don't want to neglect it because it, it's too vital. And I started by posing a question when I ran into this, essentially a paragraph. If, you're, if your Bible's organized that way, it's a paragraph, okay? When I ran into... There's another thing that just... Here, the air conditioner cut off back there, so yeah, we got we got issues, okay? Um, not the first time, won't be the last. Um, um, so in, in, in verse 5... Blessed is, he whose, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And so in the margins of my Bible, I wrote a very simple question. In whom is there help and hope? Well, there is help and hope only in the God of Jacob. Only in the Lord who is our God. That is our only place to go for help and hope. So if we, we acknowledge, I think we all do, but if we acknowledge this intellectually at this moment, then we have to ask ourselves a subsequent question, which is if there's help only in the God of Jacob, only in the God, the, the Lord who is our God, if that's the only place for help, then there must be only one way to approach this God for help. There must be only one way in which this help is offered. This help is not offered universally. But yet the hope that He offers helps all of us. Uh, that may be clear as mud, but I'm going to try to make it clearer as we look through. So if I acknowledge, simply put, that, that there is only help in God and uh, in the God of Jacob, only hope in the Lord our God, and then we go to, to verse 6 where he says, Who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. Now that's the next part. That's where we draw our connection back with, in the beginning God created heaven and the earth. With, with our God as a creator. God, when we draw that, that intellectual and that theological connection with that God, when we say that, then the next, the next phrase becomes really vital. Who keeps faith forever. Now we look back to that and what we say is this. Is that help and hope is in the Creator God. And I said by virtue of His power and authority. Which means we now realize that we can depend on God because He is the Creator God. Now I know this is where I, as I was kind of talking about this to myself tonight. And praying over it and meditating on it. One of the things I realized is I've, the only association I can make is a flimsy and weak association. And what I mean is this. Is that I can connect myself to, to my family and my children. I can connect myself to baby Elias. He shall be here soon. He shall make his grand entrance and we will all be thrilled. And none more so than mom and dad. However, however, it's really not the same thing because while you are His parents endowed with 
was strong, with a strong biblical mandate for literally everything that involves him, right? Um, I'm not going to say all every brick in the road is laid out. Wisdom is still a giant factor. But if you want to know the theme of your relationship with him, we look back to the scriptures, right? It defines the whole thing. We know what it means to be parents because God tells us and models it for us, right? At the same time, your relationship to him with Him is but a shadow of His relationship with the Creator, God. Because as hard as you try, you have no hope of creating Him without the direct work of God to do so. He is a reflection of the sovereignty of God. So, therefore, His relationship with His Heavenly Father is more deep and more rich and more powerful and more eternal than even His relationship with Lucas. Lucas has loved him as he loves a son, even though he has never seen his... We've seen his face, but not in the way he's going to very shortly. Right? But God's relationship with him goes down to literally the knitting together of his DNA. And beyond that, to the existence of his eternal soul. All of which is the direct action of the Creator God. So... We can consider our God faithful to us because He created our eternal, He created the entire universe, specifically our eternal soul, knit together our DNA, and was Savior and God of our lives. So He is faithful because every time it does it, you just stop. We're just not sure what to do. Um, who knows what shall happen? You're right, exactly. That would be what would happen. Thank you, Rudy, for, for stating the obvious. Be careful. It might fall on you like, 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 what is that movie where they all escape death and then it gets them later? Final Destination, like, lops my head off or drags me up there and I. Yeah, we'd have a great funeral. Thank you, Rudy. So I was looking for tonight. It was a great funeral. Got that on my side. Yes. If you die on Pastor Appreciation Day, we'll really remember you well. Yes. I mean, look, be honest with you, that's great. I'll take it. Take it all day long. So, so now back to our sovereign God that I am depending on in faithfulness to not drop a giant fan on my noggin. Um, back to that. Um, we therefore can, because of that, realize that He keeps faith forever. Because of who He is in His essence, He keeps faith forever. But then in verse 7, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. So then, besides the fact, or along with the fact, that, 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 that tied into the very person that our God is, tied into that which is wonderful, Along with that, we now have an expression of His faithfulness and an expression of His trust because He does what? He executes justice. Executes justice. Now, as we've talked about in this room before, justice is, is, a, is a tough thing, right? Because we don't really want justice, do we? We want justice for everybody else. We want mercy for us. Amen. I, want, I want the Lord to be just toward Pansy when I think she's messed up. I don't, Pansy, but I think she has. 
and I want the Lord to be sensitive to my failings. Justice is always an arrow in which the the tail points toward us and and the, 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 the head points toward the rest of the world. We don't we don't really want justice. We all want mercy. We want justice because we think what offends us offends God cosmically. We think because I'm hurt, then God must be equally offended. And by the God isn't offended by the things that I do. So as I said, justice, when I see the word justice within the pages of Scripture, I say, God, I thank you for justice. But at the same time, I also thank God for mercy. So, so he executes justice for whom? For the oppressed. And let's, let's, let's wrap our brains around that a little bit. That means specifically when we are being attacked, God brings justice. Now, as I said, we have a cautious relationship with justice because we realize the depth of our sin in the new covenant, right? The heart of the new covenant is me realizing how much I need the blood. The heart of the new covenant is me realizing the depth of my own depravity. That's what makes the new covenant, one of those things that makes the new covenant work. Part of that knowledge of salvation. At the same time, when we legitimately are being oppressed, we realize that God executes justice for us. The other thing that would make me, give me cause uh, to, to just, you know, to think and to pray would be, I feel like often I'm the oppressed. How many times have I been the oppressor? Once again, the great thing about the gospel is it destroys my self-image. The self-image that I walk around with that I'm a pretty good person is gospel trash, right? The reality of the gospel is, is that I'm a black, dark, deep, wicked sinner and I desperately need the blood of Jesus to cover my sins. That in no way, shape, or form am I a good person. That a good person doesn't exist. That we've all sinned and broken the heart of God. So I have to, have to do that. But then finally, who gives food to the hungry? I love the fact that it's so practical in the very end. What? What's the most basic necessity we have? Food. God feeds. You guys ever pray? I know you do. We pray in my house all the time. Provision. God provide for our needs. And you know when we pray those desperate prayers of provision, the cool part about it is what? When you really pray a prayer of provision, you are... You are surrendering yourself to a God that knows what you need before you need it. It's not the stuff you know about right now, Mike. It's the stuff that's coming down the road that you don't have a clue what you're going to do. I mean, we, I can't deal with now. And God is providing for things I can't even envision yet. But that He promises to feed. The most basic necessity. But now I want to I elucidate, just draw this, this circle closed very quickly. God remains faithful forever. That's our next stop on this as we kind of march through creation in the Psalms, in the section of the Psalms. God remains faithful forever. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, The glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made Him unfaithful. I was praying over this today at lunch as I was kind of sitting with some of my kids that come and sit with me and we're talking about nonsensical teenage stuff and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm going through it. It was, it was good. I love fellowship with my kids. But we're sitting there and I'm talking about this. And I, I prayed over this was that I'm... This shows why I'm not Spurgeon. I can occasionally be profound. 
more often than not, I'm simple. But I'm never simple and profound. I'm never those two wonderful things that a pastor needs to be. A pastor needs to be simple. And Spurgeon's always simple and profound. This is one of the deepest theological statements you'll ever meet in your life. And a, and a sixth grader can understand it. I can never manage I guess I can be complicated. And I can be simple. But I just cannot manage to be simple and profound. But he says that, I, that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. The durability of the faithfulness of God is infinite as God is infinite. Which means under the blood of Christ, there's literally nothing I can do to squander the covenant. There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. I mean, Spurgeon is, is just raving about this in this tiny little verse. What's so great about the faithfulness of God is that it depends on His attributes and not yours. You can't chase His love away. I can, I can hamper my ability to live in it. I can hamper my ability to understand it and comprehend it. I can lead my own heart astray. I can find, find myself as a believer in very dark and bitter places. I can do all things. I can be overcome by depression, overcome by anger and bitterness. All those things can absolutely happen to me. And they do not, do not take one iota of the glimmer of the faithfulness of my God. None at all as messed up and broken as I am, and I'll be blunt with you, look around this room, as messed up and broken as some of you are, God has seen it all before. He's not troubled by Tony's inability to be faithful. And Chris, he's not troubled by your inability to be faithful. It's not. Because he's dealt with people as long as they've been people. And there's nothing that you and I can do that's so terrible that it that it weakens his faithfulness. Now, I, I say that, and Spurgeon says that, because that's one of the that that notion of a relationship like that is completely inhuman, isn't it? I don't care who it is that says they love you. You can do something bad enough to hurt your relationship with them, can't you? You can do something bad enough that they won't look at you or or feel about you exactly the same way as they did before. All of us have done this. Everyone in this room has harmed or destroyed or marred a relationship in some way, haven't we? From our own selfishness, our own mistakes, our own problems. It, it always happens. We always do that. But with God, there's just simply nothing I can do because the relationship depends completely on Him and His goodness. Him and His righteousness. So there's nothing I can do. I love this idea. And, and this, just looking back at 146, 5-6, he says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, who keeps faith forever. God's only way of being faithful is to be faithful forever. It's the only way. Look, as the creator and master of the created order, our Lord remains faithful always and cannot violate this tenet of his nature. It's not just um, it's not just Shay that he's incredibly good at being faithful. It's that because God is infinitely sinless, he is unable to violate his own nature. It's not that he is not just that he loves us so much, it's that he's incapable of being unfaithful. And, and as we 
as we kind of wrap, try to wrap our brains around this, I, I struggle to wrap my brain around it because I can only think of things in a finite person way. This person's a really good person and they're really faithful. This person's not such a good person and they're not quite as faithful. This person over here just loves me so much they don't really care what I do. We've all know people uh, kind of on that on that that kind of continuum, don't we? But we don't deal with anybody who's like this other than our Lord and that He is completely unable, unable to be faithful, to be faithless. He has to be faithful because that's who God is. Creation is an expression of His faithfulness as much as His faithfulness is an expression of His creation. <coughs> because of this, frail and flawed humans are capable of bringing glory to an infinite God. Now, the realization of the beauty of this is the fact that our God now, because He is so faithful, it means that now we can do things that glorify Him and are pleasing to Him. If He wasn't as faithful, if He was an iota less faithful, if He gave me that little bit of wiggle room that my sinful heart desires so much, I would get away from God. I'd find a way to just go home and stay home. I'd be able to make that excuse that I can just, you know, I'll just go, I can worship Him just as well here as I can at home, as I can at church, and they're just about to be hypocrites and say all those stupid things that people say about the church, all those ridiculous things that undermine the faithfulness of God, not in its reality, but in their own brains and their own hearts, right? That's what they do. If, if, he was, if he was an iota less faithful, I would find a way in my stubbornness and my wickedness, and you would too, to exploit that. But the reality is he's infinitely faithful, so there's no getting away. He, he wins every time in the heart that he's claimed. And for that reason, people like us can glorify God. Not perfect people, not these great church people that we write books about, but regular old folks like Tony and like Rudy, like Stephen. Regular people without these unbelievable personalities or these, these fantastic theological minds, but just regular old people can bring so much glory to God and be absolutely celebrated in heaven. Not in any way to, to heap any kind of vanity on us, but just simply because God is so good. So good. Look, the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, wrote this. He said, All God's giants have been weak men and women who have gotten hold of God's faithfulness. So when we do great things, it's not because we're faithful. It's because the faithfulness of God, according to Hudson Taylor, because the faithfulness of God lives out through weak men and women. Now I'll tell you, I, I, we, I use Spurgeon already. Going back and reading Spurgeon's private papers, his diaries, is so eye-opening. This is the one of the, this is possibly of the modern era, the greatest preacher that Christianity has produced. The greatest preacher of the modern era. And he wanted to quit, it seems, every day. He talks about going to his office and just crying for no reason. It wasn't just depression, which it was for him, but intense suffering, gout. Decades of gout. 
decades of just physical and mental and emotional suffering. Like, like I said, guys, going all the way back to that day when he was 20, if I remember right, 20, 21, 22, when somebody cried fire and, and members died. He was a young guy full of the Holy Spirit without, full of, without being full of wisdom and no experience. And, and anybody quits in that. Lots of guys walk away and say, it's not for me. And he'd minister 38 more years. Just by tragedy and triumph and everything in the world, he'd minister 38 more years. Why? Because he's this great, great man. He had a great intellect. I've told you about his, the, the many feats. He has a great intellect, there's no doubt. But the fact of the matter is, just like Hudson Taylor said, a guy who went to China armed only with the gospel, the faithfulness of God lived out through a weak man. The faithfulness of God lived out through a weak woman. It brought Corey Ten Boom through the concentration camp. And look, if you've read her story, you know she wasn't the one strong in the faith. It was her sister. But he lived out through it's the faithfulness of God, lived out through weak people. Look, we can depend on the blessings of God because we can count on the faithfulness of the Lord. The ability that each member of this church has to impact the world around them with the gospel is not limited to their position or ability. That is the thing that I want everybody in this room right now to understand, to grasp one more time, because I've said it a thousand times. Understand this. You are not limited by who you are intellectually, by who you are in terms of your personality. You're not limited at all by that. I, I, I tell you, we talk about it. We had a night where we celebrated pastors, and I said it's Sunday, and people kind of look at me funny, but I mean it more than ever. I serve with two guys who are so much more gifted than I am as terms of, of intellect and personality. Do you know what I mean? People instinctively like them better. I'm the kid who, who nobody ever liked. And I'm not crying about it. This is, it's, not, it's not an issue. But the issue is this, is that... If we are limited by our personality, then the guy with the biggest personality, if we're limited by our intellect, then the smartest guy always wins. But the fact of the matter is, none of us are just the product in the gospel of intellect and personality. Now, God wants to take your intellect, if you're gifted, and apply that intellect to the gospel. If you have a great personality, people just like you, He wants to take that, that, that personality and subdue it and subjugate it and apply it to the gospel. He wants to do that. But I'm here to tell you this. If you've got a gift for organizing, then God wants to subjugate that for the purposes of the gospel. If you've got a gift of music, then God wants to subjugate that for the purpose of the gospel. If you have a gift of prayer, then God will take that and subjugate it for the gift of the gospel, for the good of the gospel. He will do that every time. That's what God does. And He'll take somebody who doesn't think they have a single thing going for them. You know what He'll do? He'll use it for the good of the gospel. He'll use things you don't even know you have. Things that you never thought were important, God will use for the good of the gospel. But we are not limited by just who we are or what we can do. In fact, it's despite our standing and inherent talents. And I mean that. I'm going to tell you, there have been a lot. Think about, think about your knowledge of the church. How many unbelievably gifted men have fallen? How many men you thought, this guy is going to be a superstar, and the next thing you know, he's out of the ministry? You know why? Because God succeeds in us through His faithfulness and, not, and, and despite any talent that we have. All my talent, your talent can do is really get in the way, guys. What I'm prideful and vain about, all that can do is destroy the gospel. 
It depends on the infinite power of the Savior to use broken pieces to construct a competent whole. And I think that's my last uh, image I'll leave you with. The idea is that God takes... And this is one of the things I pray about this church all the time because we are so unique. And I mean that. We are so traditional yet non-traditional. We have so many people from all these different places and all different walks of life and all different life experiences. And God's brought them all together. And you know what He's brought? And please don't get mad at me. You know what He's brought together? A whole lot of broken pieces. A whole lot of pieces that not only you wouldn't think fit together, but maybe have never fit together anywhere. And God's brought them together in this church and through His faithfulness, He takes pieces and doesn't make a mess. He makes a church. He takes pieces that that nobody would imagine working together and they're harmonious. Because only God can do that because our church is a manifestation of not our faithfulness, but a manifestation of His faithfulness, of His competence, of His ability to take a group of people and make them look like Christ. And not anything that I can do, or Brian or Kyle can do, or to be quite blunt, that you can do. Only God can do this. And simply put, only God would. Because everyone in this room would design it differently, but God designed it the way He wanted it. So even this church right now is a manifestation of the sovereignty of God and His faithfulness. Let's pray. Father God, I adore You. I thank You so much, God. And ask You, please, God, to bless us today, Lord, as we've come to You. Um, give us, uh, God, uh, give us a renewed dependence upon You and Your faithfulness, Father God. And bless each and every one of us. Every ministry in this room, every life in this room, every marriage in this room, every family in this room, Father God. Every, every, uh, every uh, covenant, God, that's that's present within this body of believers, Father God. And bless us all, God, to be a, to be a. Uh, an opportunity, God, to show the faithfulness of, of a risen Savior to, to the entire world. Lord, we love you and we thank you for everything you do through us, Father God. But may we always be reminded that everything we do must be a reflection of the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and not, God, of any of our own talents. Lord, we love you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen.